This morning we are continuing our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, um, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. So if you want to turn there, this, uh, the verses will be up on the screen, um, and I'm going to read them from the NIV version. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So the book of Luke talks more than any other gospel about money and possessions. This is because for Luke, our calendar, our checkbook, our bank account, all of how we interact with material things, for Luke, That's just a picture, a manifestation of what we really value in our hearts. And the book of Luke emphasizes material possessions so much because he wants to be clear with people that there is a major difference between the way the economy works in the world and the way the economy works in the kingdom of God. So to participate in the kingdom of God for Luke, requires an overhaul of our relationship with our material possessions. So this parable is going to tell us three important things, three important ways in which the value system of the world economy is different than the value system of the kingdom of God and its economy. Right? Jesus tells this parable after this man comes to him and basically says, Jesus, make my brother give me some money. Now, he probably asked Jesus to weigh in because he assumed that the law, the Torah, was on his side. And maybe it was, but we don't know because Jesus didn't answer his question. Instead, as Jesus often does, as uh, we heard last week from Lindsay, instead of answering this direct question, Jesus wants the man to think about the state of his heart. Jesus seems to think that this man isn't seeking the inheritance out of need, but out of greed. And so he tells this story about this rich man who has this abundant harvest, and instead of doing anything else with it, he just tears down his old barns and builds bigger barns. And then God shows up and tells the man that his idea had some key problems, namely that he was going to die tonight. So he maybe should have thought about who else might use this abundance. So as I said, this parable is going to tell us three Three key differences between the uh, the economy of the world and the economy of the kingdom of God. The first difference this parable shows us is that the economy of the world 
says that what I have is for me. But the economy of the kingdom of God says what I have is for us. In this parable, it's clear. This man has no thought of sharing his crop with other people. Anyone who maybe didn't have land to farm or who was in need, he's just building bigger barns for himself. And in the economic system of the world, that's considered fair, maybe even wise, right? He owned the land. He decided what should be planted. He assumably, you know, paid the laborers. It was his. And like Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings, after all, why shouldn't I keep it? In the kingdom of the world, that's treated as fair, right? In a free market, you can make more money for yourself. Why not do it? It's just good business sense. Good for you for selling a product that people want. Good for you for coming up with an idea that makes you wealthy. After all, why shouldn't you keep it? And if we live according to the economic value system of the world, then there's no problem with that. Of course, Jesus' audience knew there was a problem with that because they knew what God's law said. They knew that nothing, land, wealth, property, was to be treated as their own, for their own gain, while others went hungry. They knew that in God's economy, the focus is not on me, but on us. They knew that in the kingdom of God, if I have more than I need, it must not be meant for me. They knew that God had told the farmers not to collect all of their harvest, but to leave some for the needy to collect. They knew that Deuteronomy 15.11 says to be open-handed in giving to those in need among you. They knew that over and over the book of Proverbs extols the virtue of sharing possessions and realizing that what you own does not belong to you. Jesus' audience knew Proverbs 11.24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. John the Baptist seems to share this same view of property in the book of Luke. In Luke 3, he tells people, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. In the economic system of the world, it is perfectly acceptable to keep what you have, even if it's more than you need. But in the kingdom of God, that behavior is called injustice. It's called greed. It's called selfishness. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? The man in this parable failed to consider the economic impact of his actions on the community around him. He failed to consider the sick, the needy in his own community. Nowhere in this parable does he talk to or think of anyone but himself. Twelve times in this short parable, the man refers to himself. Not once does he mention or think of anybody else. Contrast his behavior with the early church in Acts 2. They were so impacted by the life and teaching of Jesus that they didn't consider their property to belong to themselves as individuals. Acts 2 says, And all the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Listen, the economic value system of the world says that what I have is for me. But the kingdom of God says what I have is for us. That anything I have that is more than I need, it was probably not meant for me. So how are we thinking about our resources? Are we caught up in the world's way of thinking that says, I get to keep whatever I earned? Or do we look at what we have through the way the kingdom of God says things are? Or what I have doesn't belong to me. It's for others. It's for us. What is our relationship with our stuff? There's another way in which the values of the kingdom of the world and the values of the kingdom of God differ. This is that the world is concerned with here and now, this life. But the kingdom of God knows this life is not all there is. The kingdom of God is concerned with eternity. The man in this parable, he was only thinking about this life. He sees his life on earth as his only chance at living, and so he wants to live large. He considers that once he has all his bounty stored up, he can take life easy, eat and drink, and be merry. That quote is found in several places in the Bible, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, In Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, eat, drink, and be merry. But he says this in response to his despair over the reality that often evil wins and good loses. So for Solomon, eat, drink, and be merry is a way to just avoid the reality of pain and suffering when he can't understand it. In Isaiah, God speaks through the prophet and says that instead of lamenting their sin, repenting, asking forgiveness from God in order to avoid the coming judgment, the people say to each other, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Paul uses this phrase, but he says it in the context of discussing Christ's resurrection. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised, there's no point. If Christ hasn't been raised, we should just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So in the Bible, to eat, drink, and be merry is to ignore the reality that what we see is not all there is. To eat, drink, and be merry is to just enjoy this life to the fullest, because to think about the world beyond this is either pointless or too hard. In other words, eat, drink, and be merry is to stick your head in the sand and willfully ignore the bigger picture of the story of God. If this life is all there is, it makes sense. Hoard. Hoard good feelings. Hoard possessions. Hoard experiences. Have it all. Eat, drink, be merry. Do everything you can with urgency and maybe a little anxiety because you only have so long to get it done. Once you die, it's over. But the kingdom of God is eternal. It goes on forever. This is why Jesus keeps urging people not to store up treasures on earth, but to be rich toward God. That means to constantly be aware of the bigger picture God is painting and participate in it. To hold what you have intentionally, yes, but loosely. Because you know that your life is a small part of God's big story. 
Jesus lived this way. See, when Jesus told this parable, he was on his way to Jerusalem. The whole second half of the book of Luke details Jesus' deliberate, slow journey toward Jerusalem and the cross. As Jesus tells this parable, he has his own impending death in mind. Listen, if this life is all there is, Jesus did a bad job with life, okay? He never owned a home. He never got married. He never had kids. He never had money. He constantly relied on the generosity of others to even have a place to sleep or food to eat. He spent most of his adult life as the assistant to his earthly dad, Joseph, in the carpenter's shop. He only spent three years in public ministry before he intentionally headed right into the hands of those who would kill him. If we are supposed to just enjoy life, eat and drink, Jesus did it wrong. But Jesus knew that this life is about more than stuff. He knew that his life on earth would be short, but that eternity is long. And that knowledge allowed him to live for far more than money. Listen, I don't think Jesus is saying it's wrong to enjoy life. God made a whole big, beautiful world. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the beauty of what God gives us. But it's good for us to ask ourselves if we're enjoying this life because we're not sure, we really believe there's something better coming. It's good for us to ask ourselves how our belief in the bigger picture of God's story is impacting our relationship with our stuff. Because the economic system of this world is concerned with here and now, but the kingdom of God knows that this life is not all there is. Now, the man in this parable was painting as having um, a third really important problem with how he thought about his money. We've said that first he thought his money was all for him, but the kingdom of God says that what we have is for us, We've talked about how he viewed his possessions as a means to enjoy life in the here and now, but that the kingdom of God knows that this, this life is just a part of God's big story. But his third problem, really his biggest problem, was his sense of self-sufficiency. See, the third difference between the world and the kingdom of God is that the world celebrates those who say, I've got this while the kingdom of God encourages us to remember that God has me. God's got me. See, this man, he was selfish. He didn't think about others. He was hedonistic. He just wanted to enjoy himself. But really, the root problem is that he thought he was on his own. He was selfish because he didn't think God would take care of him. He was hedonistic because he didn't believe that God had something more beautiful in the future for him. He thought he was on his own. And so he set himself up for a very nice life, completely independent of any need for God. And that's how the Bible describes a foolish person. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14 says that the foolish person is someone who lives as though there is no God. And before you start thinking about your favorite atheist to point a finger at, Psalm 14.1 isn't talking about them. 
Psalm 14 is talking about people in Israel, in the community of God's people, who although they know there is a God, they live as though there is not. The rich man in this parable is a fool because he doesn't consider the reality of God's presence in his life. He doesn't consider that his life and everything he has are on loan from God. He doesn't consider that he really doesn't own anything he has. It has all been gifted to him by God for a reason. He's a fool because he imagines that he is in control of his own life. To participate in the kingdom of God means to consciously live out the reality of God's presence. To consciously place God at the very center of our lives, our actions, our thoughts, our desires. And that's the context Jesus told this parable in, by the way. If you read the, le- the rest of Luke chapter 12, you'll see it's Jesus talking to the crowds about how God sees them, how God provides for them, how God cares for them. It's Jesus telling the crowd not to worry because God knows what they need. It's Jesus telling them they don't need to be anxious because their heavenly Father loves them. This parable is surrounded by exhortations to trust God and not move through life in a flurry of anxious activity, thinking you're on your own. That's the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. See, the world and its economic system would celebrate this rich man as a success story. But in the kingdom of God, this man's story is a tragedy. The tragedy is that this rich man thought he had to take care of himself. The tragedy is that this man didn't know that God cared for him. He didn't know that eternity with God is more beautiful and more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. The tragedy is that he was greedy, and greed is bad for us. It's bad for us. Now, It's easy to read a story like this and hear Jesus sort of berating rich people. Shame on you for having so much. Shame on you for running after money instead of God's kingdom. But Jesus is really calling the rich in. Jesus has compassion on the wealthy. The story that we read here is told in between Jesus' words about God's care for his people because he knows that people don't run after money because they're bad people. People run after money because they're afraid. Afraid of being without. Afraid of missing out. And you tell you, tell you what, I am so glad for this. I'm so glad that Jesus calls the rich fool in. I'm so glad that he has compassion on the rich fool and invites him to trust God and not just be ashamed. Because to be honest, I feel like this rich man, often. See, I grew up without much. I was raised by a single mom, and I still look back and wonder how we got by with as little as my mom made. Now I'm an adult. I'm married to an electrical engineer. We both make good money. And it's really easy for me to find comfort in money, to find security in money. I enjoy being able to give my kids the things that my mom couldn't give me and my brothers. 
I love taking my kids on vacation and on fun outings. I love to be comfortable in our home. I love that this week as I wrote this message, I was sitting on our brand new reclining couches. I love that our home looks pretty to me. It has windows and a gas fireplace and there's trees. And I enjoy being financially stable. I I love being able to give to the church, to be able to give to friends that are in ministry and sponsor a child in another country. I enjoy how it feels to have money. And so when I read a parable like this that challenges me to consider my posture toward my money, I feel a little resistance rising up in me. I feel a little pushback. I don't want to think about the hold that money has on me. And if I go right to the root of that resistance, right to the root of that pushback, I find fear. I find insecurity. Fear that God wants me to live in a state of deprivation. Fear that God will ask more than I want to give. Fear that I won't feel satisfied with life if we give more. And this is exactly why I, the rich fool, need this parable in its context. I need to go backwards in this chapter and read Luke 12, 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I need to go forward in Luke 12 and read that God feeds the birds and clothes the flowers of the field, but that he cares for me even more than he cares for them. I need to go forward and read verses 29 to 32. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you see how gently Jesus speaks to people? And remember that man that came to Jesus asking him to like divide the inheritance between his brothers? He was in that crowd hearing those words. This gentleness, this is how Jesus speaks to us rich fools who are afraid to give up control of our stuff. He speaks with gentleness to us. Because Jesus knows that selfishness masks fear. That extravagant living and spending is a sign of anxiety. So Jesus isn't shaming us. He's inviting us to give up that which is robbing true life from us. Greed is a tragedy. It is a sickness that kills, and Jesus desperately wants us to be free from it. This parable tells us that the economy of the world and the economy of the kingdom of God run on two very different sets of principles. The economy of the world praises self-sufficient acclamation of wealth for self-enjoyment. But the kingdom of God celebrates a loving father who provides so that everyone has what they need for this life and the life to come. So this morning, this parable invites us to consider which economic system we're living in. Are we living according to the system of the world, buying into the lie of self-sufficiency, the sickness of hoarding, the meaninglessness of pursuing this world as all there is? 
Or are we living according to the kingdom of God? Do we believe that God is taking care of us? Do we believe that what he gives us isn't only for us, but for all of us to ensure that everyone has what they need? Do we celebrate interdependence with others? Do we see how we are all a part of the world that God made? And do we believe that God's generosity far outpaces our generosity? If you, like me, struggle with this, I only have one solution that seems to work for me. Give. When I start to hoard, I need to give. When I struggle to believe if God will provide, I give. If I start to feel like what I have is for me, I give. I tend to hoard my time. And so I have to give my time. That's why this semester I decided to volunteer at my kid's school. I hoard money. That's why I need to tithe, to give 10% of our income to Harbor, to, to give to child sponsorships around the world, to give to other organizations and friends in ministry. That's also why we as a church are a tithing church, why every year at least 10% of our budget goes out beyond the walls of this community, why we support organizations like IANE and the Wish Project and Place of Promise and Food for the Hungry, It's why your giving here goes to help others in the community at Harbor who are in need, someone who might need rent covered this month or a doctor's bill paid. Because it would be easy for us as a church to hoard what we have for ourselves, to make our space a little bit cooler with a little bit nicer technology instead of helping others. And that's why we invite you to give at Harbor, both to the budget of our church community and to other organizations We don't ask you to regularly give here at Harbor just because we couldn't pay the rent if you didn't. We ask you to give because you need to give. You need to trust that God will take care of you. You need to trust that even if you give a percentage of your income, that God still has you. That's why we ask you to volunteer your time with The Wish Project, why we invited Cynthia here this morning to tell us more about IANE, because you need to give. People need the resources we have, and we need to give our resources away. The purpose of this parable is to show us the absurdity of relying on material wealth when our Father in heaven created literally everything. He made the gold that we hoard. He made the trees that become the lumber for our houses. He made the ground that grows the plants and nourishes the animals that become our food. We have access to God in heaven. Why in the world would we hoard something as small as money? In these next few moments, we're going to close our service with just a song, a simple song that talks about how God is enough. And as we sing this, I want to invite you to consider where your heart is at towards your stuff this morning. To ask what your actions and thoughts say about which economic system you're living in. If you, like me, find that you need help living within the economic value system of God's kingdom, confess that to him. Tell him. Ask him to help you believe that he loves you, that he will provide for you. Ask him to show you that he is trustworthy. And then take a chance. Give something, somewhere. And then watch how he takes care of you. Let me pray. And then Paul and Joe are going to close out our service with this song.
Jesus, thank you that you invite us in, that your way is not shaming. (laughs) We struggle with money, you know that. That's why there's so many warnings about it all over the Bible. God, this morning, will you help us to consider our posture towards our stuff? And will you invite us into a way of life that is truly life? Amen.